Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Peck. Space launches have become very common. In fact, multiple times a week is now the norm. Each launch takes a well-choreographed set of operations to get payload to space. But what goes on behind the scenes to make that happen? Epsilon 3's mission is to modernize space missions and complex engineering business and testing workflows by building the industry standard of operational software. My guest on this edition of the Xterra podcast is Laura Crabtree, CEO of Epsilon 3. Laura, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. Happy to do it. So let's start off just talking about Epsilon 3, what it is that you do and the customers that you're at, at liberty to divulge. <laughs> sure. So we've got a whole host of our customers listed on our website, but uh, let's let's just talk about what we do from, you know, the beginning. So from the beginning, we saw a big problem in how companies were organizing executing and managing their missions, either a launch or a satellite operation, or even a, an engine test on the ground. And I saw this firsthand uh, when I was at both Northrop Grumman and at SpaceX, that both of these, um, at both of these companies, we had slowdowns, we had miscommunications, we had missteps. And um, I had built some types of internal software. And so I knew that, I knew what it took to build internal software. And then when I left SpaceX, I actually learned that most people don't buy internal so or don't create internal software. They actually mm -hmm. go out and buy it. But there was nothing off the shelf that really worked for really complex engineering processes like we had for launches or rendezvous or anything in the space business. And so I set out to sort of fix that process. What we did in the 60s and 70s, we had paper. What yeah. then we then we transitioned to Word documents, which was a, a huge change, right? Then we transitioned to uh Word documents that maybe were a little bit more uh complex with comments in them and and such, but they weren't executable. They were mostly flat. And so these days people are using ex, uh, Excel spreadsheets, confluence pages to really write down what they need to do. So when it comes to a launch, uh, you know, you have to orchestrate 20 different people. Hopefully it's not actually 20, but hopefully it's more like three or four. Um, right. And those people might be in different places. Well, how do you coordinate ops from different places? Well, you have to have a good software package to do it, or you have to do it all manually with, you know, walkie talkies and cell phones. But if you do it with a walkie talkie and a cell phone, it's not gonna be recorded anywhere. So we wanted to have a record of everything that you did in a launch or a satellite operation. We wanted to have all of the people in one place coordinating with one another and communicating with one another. And then we wanted to integrate data. So when it comes to uh, telemetry from a launch vehicle, from an engine test on the ground, from uh, a satellite flying overhead, you want to integrate the data with what you're actually doing, the decision-making process by which you send commands and, and decide what to do next. Um, and then the last piece is none of these things are linear. So when it comes to other softwares that are out there, most of them are linear or they have very simplistic decision trees that don't meet the process by which we execute operations today. So in a, in a nutshell, which is that's not really a nutshell, that was a lot. Um, that's what we do. We, we help people go on to the, the next generation, which is not just digitized tools, 
but efficient digitized tools to connect the whole team. And uh, let's see, some of our customers, um, we have customers in the launch side of things. So uh, Firefly would be a really good example mm -hmm. of that. They've been very successful recently and, and their team is amazing to work with. We are working with some lunar lander companies. So um, Astrobotic and then Firefly also has a lunar lander and then a couple others. Um, and then we're working with some satellite manufacturers and satellite operators. Um, and then outside of the space industry, even still, we're working with aviation companies, uh, fusion companies, renewable energy, and then robotics. There's there's just a whole slew of things that are tangential to space that operate very similarly. So. Um, just to name a few, those are those are a few of the customers that we're working with. So how did you get involved in the space industry? Give me a little bit more about your background. Me? So I knew that I wanted to be an astronaut from when I was about eight years old. And my parents are both not in engineering at all. My mm -hmm. dad's a lawyer and my mom's a nurse practitioner. So coming from a background of, I don't I know that I don't want to be in medicine because I don't like blood. I like how things work. I like how things come together. I like the system and I like space. So it was a natural progression for me to get more interested in space, watch space launches, watch all the shuttle launches, learn about astronauts, learn about stars, and just wonder about what could be. And I studied all engineering classes, like, you know, all AP classes in high school and most, mostly in science. I liked history too, but different. Mm. Um, and then when it comes to university, I just wanted to do the hardest thing possible. I wanted a challenge. I wanted someone to give me a problem that I didn't know how to solve without somebody walking me through it the first time. And so that's how I got into basically astronautics. And there were not very many astronautics programs when I was in college, which if you could believe was only 23 years ago. But <laughs> back in the day, let's say back in the day, back in early 2000s, there weren't a lot of space programs. So I found right. the closest thing to it, which was aerospace astronautics at USC. And since then, USC now has a, a space program. They have just a plain astronautics program. It's not tied to the aerospace and mechanical engineering department. But then at that time they didn't. And so, you know, there were three or four other handful of others. And, you know, when I left USC, I applied for the, the jobs that everybody applied for, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Northrop, yeah. uh, you know, obviously the, the Skunk Works um, section and looked at, looked at NASA as well. But it turns out that I didn't want to move to Houston for university. So I didn't move there for for. Um, after, right. uh, and I, I was offered a job at Northrop Grumman, and I and I took it. So that was the my foray into space. Was basically I I kind of always knew I wanted to do that. You've had experience then in both, and this this just occurs to me because you've had experience with some of those legacy aerospace companies. Yeah. Um, and now you're working mostly with startups and smaller companies. Kind of compare and contrast between those two, and and. How different is it to be working now more, not only as, as an entrepreneur yourself, but working with smaller companies as opposed to being a cog in a big wheel? It's it's really fun working with small companies. Um, they make decisions so quickly. Mm -hmm. Things can change uh, day to every day. Things can change every week. Things can change every month. Um, I really love the fast pace movement of the startup industry, but 
the the fact of, of Epsilon 3 is we work with larger companies too. Um, we're working with uh, multi-thousand person companies and the difference is in the decision-making. It's how many people need to be involved in the decisions. It's how fast people can make decisions. It's the amount of spend they may or may not be comfortable with. And so for a product like Epsilon 3, we have to think about all of those factors and who we're marketing to and how we take our product to market. There's a lot of complexities in that. So I would say the legacy companies have a lot of really wonderful experience under their belts. And they can certainly teach the smaller companies some very valuable experiences there. And then the smaller companies, their ability to be move, move fast and be agile is very, very important as well. And so I think they come together, the small companies teach the legacy companies something. And, and I think Epsilon 3 is something where we take input and feedback from both small and large companies alike. So we're essentially trying to help both of them move faster at the same time. I want to go back to your background just a little bit, because I like to talk with people about kind of what was their aha moment for getting into the into the space industry. And I, I always equate it back to my own, which was I was 10 years old. I was at summer camp. It was 1969 in July. Nothing, nothing of any import happened in July of 1969. Yeah. <laughs> and we got to go up to the camp director's office uh, uh, quarters and and watch the moon landing on a little nine inch black and white TV. Yep. Um, and that was kind of my my aha moment. This is, you know, this is this is really cool, and I like to find a way to be involved. What was yours? I, so I would say, since I already knew I wanted to be in the space industry, there was an aha moment when I was in school at USC. Um, there was a disaster. There was a big failure. Uh, Columbia happened when I was a senior, mm -hmm. and I had not thought about what job I would want yet. But when that happened, I knew at that moment when I was reading about it and, and saw it um, that I that I had to be involved in the industry and I needed to make some impact. And I didn't want to ever see that happen again, mm -hmm. obviously. But because I had already been working towards that, it was the I'm not turning back now moment right. where, you know, I'm 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 all in. And I think after that, I applied to a bunch of jobs and realized that I was definitely in the space industry because I, I hadn't applied to any jobs yet. This was, um, yeah. you know, just before. Well, actually, it was my junior year, but yes. So coming back to Epsilon 3, obviously, you can't do this by yourself. So tell us a little bit about your team. So uh, we, we have a great team. I love working with every member of the team. And I think that's one of the, the most important things to a startup is the team. And let's start with my co-founder, Max, who is the first person I met after I left SpaceX and started thinking about what I wanted to do. I had written down somewhat of a business plan and, you know, clearly I'm an engineer. I didn't go to business school. I don't, I don't know how, I didn't know how to start a business. And a friend of mine had introduced me to Max and we started talking and I told him what problems I wanted to solve in the industry. And he said to me, which is something that other people have asked me, why can't I do this with Asana? And mm -hmm. he loves Asana. 
And I said, well, here are all the reasons, complexities and conditional statements and telemetry and record keeping. And he said, oh, yeah, I, I might be able to do one tenth of that with Asana, but I'm not going to do the rest of it. And he said, this this seems like a big problem. We should we should go out and solve it. And that was kind of history. Um, we then started a couple months later. So officially started a couple months later mm-hmm. after, you know, looking for funding, but basically, um, writing down a business plan and, and trying to get customers. And then we hired our, our first two engineers shortly thereafter. Um, their names are, are deep and John, and they've been with us ever since. Um, and basically we find people that have experience that is not like our own. We right. look for people that may or may not have space experience, but the the one thing that rings true for everybody is that they have a passion for what we do. They have a passion for our customers. So we have hired people from automotive. We have hired people from video, uh, video photo editing. We've hired people from um, other places uh, like aircraft software, aircraft testing that basically bring together all of the different backgrounds that we need to be successful here. And the thing that's that's really important to me is that everybody likes and supports one another. And so the engineering team is, is very close and they talk daily all the time. Uh, we are a remote team, so that is very difficult, mm-hmm. but that team is is really strong and, and really skilled really proud of the team that we've put together. Um, the team culture is one of the things that I'm most proud of. You know, we, we do things to strengthen the team culture just because we know we're all remote and it's really important. You alluded to this just a bit, but I kind of want to get you know, a little bit more in depth with it because yeah. there's software for analytics, there's software for design and processes, right. documentation, yada, 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 but they don't really do what Epsilon 3 does. So how can you, can you tell me about the fundamental differences? Yeah. So the, the biggest difference is we, we look at the, the problem from what does the operator need to see? And the oh. operator needs to see maybe what happened in the past. So when the, when the, spacecraft was being built what happened who was doing things what was it what was the testing like the operator needs to know what they need to do now and they need to know what data is being collected so how do you bring all those things together there's obviously things that that collect data large data sets there's obviously things that do um some analysis but that's not the most important thing for the operator. The operator is not going to go off and do analysis. They need information in front of them quickly most of the time. Right. So how do we give them that information quickly? Well, you know, you want to string together what happened yesterday, what happened, you know, two weeks ago with what's going to happen tomorrow. And if you have everything in one platform, you have the string to do that. We talk about an interconnected system. You know, most companies end up with, 10 different softwares that do the things that we do. And I just feel that if you have 10 different softwares, there's going to be a break in the line somewhere. Someone's not going to have access to the right information that they need to at the time they need it. And I, I don't want that to happen. I'm talking with Laura Crabtree, CEO of Epsilon 3 on the Xterra podcast. Take a moment right now to click on subscribe to be sure you don't miss any of our podcasts or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. Laura, given that our systems continue to get more and more complex and more integrated with each other, your 
procedural approach seems quite robust. Why is that? Why why is a procedural approach fundamental to this business? So in the last 10 years, we've seen an increasing number of people go from company to company. And what you lack, if you forget about something like Epsilon 3, is you lack the ability to go from me to the next person when I leave. You have more internal information that leaves with every person that leaves. And if you make sure that everybody writes it down, you make sure that everybody tracks what they do, you do not lose any of that um, information. We we call it tribal information in kind of a lot of the space industry or a lot of places I've worked. Um, If you have, if you're lacking documentation, you're lacking um, a step-by-step approach to do things, you're going to have to reinvent the wheel and reinventing the wheel is very costly, both in money and in time. And we, we want people to not have to do that. Institutional knowledge I've heard is that being referred That's to. That's a much better word for it. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I didn't coin it. So just take it and run. It's all good. Uh, like but, it. but, but it's not just about the mission too. It's, it's about the entire life cycle cycle of a product or a program, right? It is. It's, it's more than just one procedure or eight procedures. It's what do you need to do when you're building then when you test against those builds, how do you test against them and verify requirements? I'm not doing uh, requirements, but you would verify them in another system. And then how do you then take that to operations after launch? Um, how are you making decisions on what Delta V you need to do, whether or not you need to you know, enable certain solar panels or turn off a battery or turn on a heater? How do you make those decisions? And then if a heater fails, How do you go back and see when it was installed on the vehicle? Who installed it? Was this a problem with the lot number? Was this a problem with the install? And you'll have uh, photographic evidence to be able to track all of those things as well. So it sounds like you're really basically keeping track of the minutia in in order to make the big project work. It sounds pretty accurate, yeah. I've made I've made a career out of boiling things down into those kinds <laughs> of sound bites. Uh, keep that one. Please it. do. There, there does seem to be though a readjustment beginning in the industry, right? Now, as as you know, it, it was in the the last about three years there was exponential growth. There were a lot of new companies that yep. starting to consolidate. Companies are starting to. Um, either pull back or in some cases even fail, it's all being tempered. Um, and as I said, a couple of businesses going out of out of business. Yep. Some investor discontent seems to be out there as well with returns. And yet there are more projects than ever being started. What's your take on the space commerce industry over the last couple of years? Well, let's start with 2021, which was a conundrum of a year for everybody. Mm. A lot of investors had money to invest because there were almost no investments, not almost no, but there were very few investments in 2020. And investors had to relearn how to deploy capital because you had investors that took meetings on Zoom. You didn't have to see an investor in person. You could raise money over 20 different Zoom calls. And so there was a a big shift you might not even meet the person you're investing in in person until six months after you invested in them, Mm. which happened to a lot of people. And then 2022 happened 
and everything went downhill. The markets crashed, uh, interest rates went up, and people started pulling back. But 2021 and early 2022 investments were at an all-time high. So you had a lot of companies that got started during that. A lot of people who may or may not have had experience starting companies, uh, like myself included, mm -hmm. um, and some of them have gotten acquired. Some of them uh, went through a SPAC and the SPACs recently have not done very well. And mm -hmm. so investors see that and they think the market is waning. But I see a huge interest in the market. I see a lot of people very invested in what is to come. And I'm very invigorated by what's going on in the industry. I think if you have a 10 or 20 person company and maybe it's doing well, but it could merge with another company and have more capital and do even better. I see that as a win for everybody. So I think there might be more consolidation happening, but I don't see that as a failure of the industry. I see that as, you know, the industry just recognizing where something might not be able to become a big business and merging with another business to become even bigger than, than the parts were from the beginning. But when I talk to some of the money people for the podcast, and I've spoken with several uh, fairly large investors, yep. and one of the questions I always ask is, you know, space is a long-term investment. It's always, almost always going to be uh, multiple years between the germ of an idea and actually seeing something deployed. And I think there's a lot of kind of caution right now about putting your money someplace where you might not see a return on it for five to 10 years. Yeah, sometimes it's more than that. So a couple of companies have actually launched their first missions in two, two to two and a half years, which is amazing. And I'd love to see more people do that. But for some companies, it takes five years to get to their first mission. And if it takes five years to get to your first mission, you've already had to raise 50 or $100 million of capital to get there. And some investors just don't want to invest in long-term moonshot strategies. And there's a specific type of investor who is interested in hardware businesses, CapEx intensive businesses, and certain ones that are just focused on software. And I would say that the ones that are focused on national security, um, hardware launch business, they are comfortable with returns not coming back for 10 plus years. And SaaS-focused investors, software-focused investors might want returns in five to seven years. And so you have a just a difference and it just depends on the investor. And I I think it I think it will continue to pick up. It might be slower than 2021, but mm -hmm. I think it's going to continue to pick up um sort of mid-2024, I'm hoping. And this also kind of goes back to the the comparison between the large legacy companies and the smaller, more agile entrepreneurial companies is that a company like Boeing can afford to take a three to five year pushback on a yep. program. Gee, I wonder what that might be. <laughs> whereas yeah. whereas a, a smaller, more agile company doesn't have that doesn't have that luxury. They've got to get something to the market and try and make their money back. Exactly. Uh, a small company they usually get 18 to 24 months of runway with a raise. So mm -hmm. let's say you raise a uh, million dollars. You have to make that last 
18 to 24 months, uh, I, I highly doubt that you can with, with a team, but let's say you want to try to do that. You've got to find a way to get money coming in rather than out before that time period is up. So you have to find a product that you can sell. Maybe it's not your end goal. So a lot of entrepreneurs are becoming more creative with how they think about monetizing their products, how they think about the the go-to-market strategy. If you have a, a launch business, your launch might not be the first time you bring money in, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So there's, there's a lot of different ways to go about that. And I'm... Um, I mean, the government funding is is one thing that people do. There's a lot of government funding out there. And there are small companies that are getting large um, government contracts, which is so great to see because it's not always Lockheed, Boeing, Northrop, Raytheon getting all the government contracts anymore. Oh, SpaceX being the other one that gets all right. the contracts. But what then is the kind of the impact of, because you mentioned government funding, the NASA SBIR program and some of those that are are helping small companies out in getting their product going and, and making something out of it? Yeah, so the SBIR program is, is very good for hardware companies. Mm-hmm. And it's very good if you can show progress on your tech and the government wants or needs it. It is not as good for software companies. Mm. They are, the government doesn't really know how to buy software, especially recurring revenue software where you have to pay yearly. Um, And so it's less fruitful for companies like ours. So what we do is we just look for people who need and want to use our software. Mm -hmm. And we utilize that as helping us do development. We are just about out of time, Laura, but I ask this of all of our guests, and I want you to look at, if you might, over the next 10 to 15 years in space sure. commerce and your role in it uh, at Epsilon 3, and tell me what you see. So let's see. Let's start with the space industry in general. I, I hate to make predictions, but in the next 10 to 15 years, I would love to see a private space station mm-hmm. where you can run your own experiments. It is less um, firewalled off than the NASA experimentation. I think we need to learn how humans live and work in space more than just the heavily skilled astronaut crew because there is a huge piece of our inherent being as humans and the need to explore. We want to know what's out there. And I think there are many keys to unlocking how we live on Earth in space. And we have yet to tap into that. I also feel like there's going to be a lot more data enabled from a lot of the Earth observation satellites. Sorry, my dog here. She's barking. <laughs> she she will not leave my side. So you get you get the dog. But okay. uh, you know, when it comes to crops, when it comes to um, migration, when it comes to um, temperatures and storms, we are just now hitting the surface of what's possible in the knowledge about our planet. And so I think Earth um, and the knowledge of what makes up the Earth, what makes us um, what makes us a great place to live is only going to, you know, be more uh, strengthened by 
the knowledge we gain from space. So those are kind of the two things that I'd love to see. And the third thing um, is I'd love to see people land on the moon again, um, mm -hmm. which, which goes uh, along the lines of how do we live and work in space? If we can set up a moon base, which I don't know that that's going to happen in 10 to 15 years, but if we can set up a moon base, then we can set up a base anywhere. So I would love to see that. And I know that's really forward leaning, but there's, I, there's peace in I the honestly, I honestly don't think so. And I think it's going to be a private company if it's not SpaceX. I think yeah. it's going to be a private company that does it before NASA does. Because again, as we've talked about, they're more agile, they can solve problems more quickly, and they don't have to worry about, um, you know, making sure that Congress gives them enough money to do the project. It's true. Um, this makes a big difference. And so I, I think there's a really good possibility that it's going to be a private company that gets to the moon before NASA does. But I'm not in the prediction business either. Right. So I guess we'll see what happens. And then the thing, the thing that I would love to see for Epsilon 3 is all of the pieces that I just mentioned I would love to see us as the infrastructure that helps support making those things possible. You know, our software living on a private space station, our software living on a moon base, um, our software living in the ground se segment where the people are controlling the assets in space. Those are all of the ways in which I would like to continue contributing to this industry. Laura, we are out of time, but I really appreciate you taking some time out to talk yeah. with us today. It's been been a lot of fun. So thank you very much. Yep. Thank you. Laura Crabtree is CEO of Epsilon3. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. Check out our YouTube channel and be sure to click on subscribe so you can stay up to date on developments in space commerce and be notified when we post new videos. You can get daily updates on space commerce by following the Journal of Space Commerce on Substack. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on X at XterraJSC. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.